0: Hello and welcome to a CHI podcast for the upcoming Structure Based Drug Design and Chemical Biology for Target Validation conferences, being held this May 21st through 23rd in Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Samantha Lewis, and I'm one of the conference producers working on the meeting. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Chaz Bountra, head of the Structural Genomics Consortium and professor of translational medicine and associate head of medical sciences at the University of Oxford. He serves on numerous public and charitable funding committees, journals, review panels, and scientific advisory boards for academic drug discovery programs, biotechs, pharmas, and VCs. He has, in the past five years, helped to attract more than 70 million pounds of research funding to the university and is facilitating the university's reputation as a center for drug discovery. His current research is aimed at determining the 3D x-ray structures of novel proteins, generating novel small molecule inhibitors, and using these to dissect disease networks and identify new targets for drug discovery. Welcome, Dr. Bountra, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Nice to talk to you, Samantha. And my first question for you is, even though some people may already know, can you explain what you see the role of the Structural Genomics Consortium to be and how it's impacting drug discovery?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Samantha. So... Within the SGC, we're very lucky that we are working extremely closely with nine large pharmaceutical companies, and we're working with them, and together we're generating freely available, high-quality tools for drug discovery. So, for example, we generate proteins, we generate assays, we generate the three-dimensional X-ray structure, we generate small molecule inhibitors, and we generate antibodies. So these are starting points for drug discovery. But all these reagents, we make them freely available. So we give them away to anybody in academia, anybody in biotech, and anybody in pharma. And of course, as you can imagine as a consequence, you know, we have a very large academic network of collaborators. So currently in excess of more than 250 of the best labs all over the world. And so these labs basically take these open, freely available tools, high quality tools, and then they use those to generate new biology. So they profile them in their own cellular assays or disease assays. So together, what we're doing is essentially we're reducing duplication We're reducing wastage, and I believe what we're doing is catalysing science by basically crowdsourcing science. I hope that gives you a sense of what we're doing.
0: Absolutely, and the SGC in and of itself is, you know, a success story. But is there any specific recent successes that you care to share with us?
1: Well, let me just share maybe two examples. The first one is, I mean, generating this. I mean, we're probably the best if not one of the best labs in the world at generating structures of human soluble proteins but of course generating structures of human membrane proteins is incredibly difficult now in the past three years we've actually generated the structures of four human membrane proteins but let me just share with you the impact of one of these which we did in 2012. So we generated this structure. It's for a zinc metalloprotease, ZMPSTE24. name doesn't really matter, but it's a membrane protein. It's a protein that's involved in progeria, so premature aging. Now we generated the structure of that protein in May 2012, and immediately we told the whole world about it. This is how we did it. these are the constructs, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This was before any publication and then in the summer of that year, so summer 2012, a lab in the U.S. actually used that methodology, those constructs, to get the structure of the yeast protein. So we did the structure of the human protein, they did the structure of the yeast protein. And then in November 2012, both labs, so the lab in the U.S. and our lab, we submitted our own manuscripts for publication. And then in April last year, they got published in Science. Now, I would argue that I don't think there's any other lab on the planet that would have done that, you know, to solve the structure of a human membrane protein and then immediately tell everybody how they've done it several months, almost a year before the manuscript was actually published. So this way of working, generating open reagents, but then making them freely available and rapidly publishing, we believe is reducing duplication and it's reducing wastage. Let me give you another example of where we generated a small molecule inhibitor. So here we work with GSK and our friend and collaborator, Jay Bradner, in Harvard. Together, we generated a molecule which we call JQ1, and this is an inhibitor of an epigenetic protein or subfamily of proteins called the BET proteins. Now, working with Jay, we showed that this particular inhibitor, it reduced proliferation of human cancer cells. so a very rare cancer called nut midline carcinoma. And Jay also showed that the compound caused an increase in apoptosis, as well as reducing proliferation. And he also put this molecule into a xenograft model. So you've got uh, patient-derived cells, these cancer cells, they're put into a mouse model, the tumor grows. And he basically showed that the compound stopped the tumor growing. Now, we published that Inhibitor in Nature in December 2010. Let me just share with you by May last year, so almost 30 months later, what had happened. First of all, that molecule we had given out, that inhibitor we had given out to more than 400 labs all over the world. Secondly, as a consequence of that one publication, there was a whole raft of publications on that target, many of them using that inhibitor, etc. And I think the number was something like 172 publications on that target as a consequence of that publication. But what's also happened is that many of our pharma partners, you know, these nine companies that we're working with, many of them started their own proprietary efforts. Jay Bratner managed to secure some... VC funding to set up a biotech in Boston, essentially to take that target into the clinic. And today, in 2014, there are now five companies with their own molecules for that target currently in clinical studies. Now, in three years, that's almost unprecedented. You know, to take, if you like, a novel target, a novel inhibitor, and then three years later, five companies have got five different molecules in clinical studies. So I think that just maybe again illustrates the impact of freely available probes on science, on drug discovery, and maybe also on enterprise.
0: And now the SGC, as the name implies, is using structure-based approaches to develop novel probes used with disease-relevant phenotypic systems for drug discovery research. Why is this approach anticipated to have greater success for validating novel targets and reducing attrition?
1: Basically, what we're doing, Samantha, is first of all, by working with experts in big pharma, medicinal chemistry experts, we are generating high-quality inhibitors. And then by making these high-quality inhibitors freely available, we're crowdsourcing science. We're enabling science in a very broad and deep way. I mean, for example, that JQ1 molecule given out to more than 400 labs. I mean, what's happened in the past three years many labs have profiled it in lots of other types of cancers. There's even data that it could be a target for male contraception. There's data that it's a target in sepsis. There's data that it could have utility in cardiac hypertrophy. So by having these high-quality tools available openly, the academic network, the global academia, is basically generating science in a very broad way and also in a very deep way. And this is something that, any one pharmaceutical company just could not afford to do. I mean, GSK or Pfizer or Novartis or whatever, they couldn't afford to give a molecule out to 400 labs because each of those collaborations would cost a finite amount of money. Now, of course, we sitting in academia can do that because we don't pay those academics anything. So this is basically, it is crowdsourcing science. And I hope by having more data more broad and deep data on a target, then we will reduce
0: attrition. And are you coming across any challenges using this approach?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, when the SGC first started, Samantha, we had a lot of public funds, both in Canada and in the UK. But, you know, the company that helped us start it was GSK. And then four years later, when the SGC was renewed, there was three companies. And today, there are nine companies. And it's likely that figure of nine will grow even further. So I think more and more scientists, more and more of our industrial colleagues, more and more of these pharmaceutical companies are appreciating the benefits of this sort of open way of working. It's a way of basically pooling resources and sharing risk. I mean, it it seems a bit crazy. I mean, with all these novel targets, what's the point? Of GSK and Pfizer and Novartis and Lilly and all these companies independently generating all these reagents for all these proteins. It seems a little bit of a waste because we know historically in terms of drug discovery, many of these targets are not going to make it. They're not going to generate drugs for patients. So we're reducing that wastage and duplication.
0: Now I want to switch gears a little bit. You're giving a keynote lecture joining the structure-based drug design and chemical biology for target validation meetings on May 22nd. What do you hope to convey to the attendees during that lecture?
1: At the moment what we're doing is we're generating these open probes and then we're giving them to a network of academic labs across the globe and together we're doing broad and deep biology but we're doing it more quickly. Now, going forward, what we are doing more of, and we're going to ramp this up significantly in the coming months, is we're now going to generate these, again, these open probes, but now we're going to profile them in primary human cells. So, cells that we get from healthy individuals, but also from patients. These are not cell lines, these are primary cells. Now, by screening these inhibitors in those primary cells, I think we will get better targets for drug discovery. But we're also pushing the concept even further. And that is for some of these targets, what we recommend that we do is we generate open clinical probes. So molecules, high quality molecules that we can actually give to patients. And then we want to use global academia, use inverted commas, and actually put those clinical probes into patients. Because frankly, Samantha, that's where target validation happens. It happens in patients, it doesn't happen in animals and it doesn't happen in cell lines. So what we're saying is we're going to take some of these new targets and we should take them all the way into patients. So the argument for that is at the moment for pioneer targets, which are what's going to deliver pioneer medicines, most of those targets when we take them into patients fail. People have estimated the failure rate is nine in ten. So it seems crazy that you might have 20 companies working on a target that has a 90% chance of failure after five, six, seven years of investment, etc. So what we're saying is let's pool our resources, let's do that experiment once, let's do it well, let's share the data, let's identify the nine in ten that's not likely to deliver a drug, and let's identify the one in ten that will. And then once we've identified that one in ten target, then Novartis, ESK, and Pfizer, etc., etc., they can generate their proprietary molecule because then the target has been clinically validated, it has been de-risked, then industry can do what they're good at, and that is generating high-quality molecules for these targets. And so industry benefits because they're not wasting their money on targets that are destined for failure. But we also save patients. Because at the moment, you know, with 20 companies working on a target that's going to fail, I mean, just think of all the patients that are needlessly exposed to molecules for that target. So by doing this, we will reduce duplication, we will reduce wastage, we will generate clinically validated targets, and we will save patients from being exposed to molecules that are destined for failure. So I'll try and get those messages across if I
0: can. Now, I know another thing that SGC is interested in is developing novel probes for epigenetic targets. In your opinion, do you think this wave of second-generation epigenetic inhibitors will be successful in meeting patients in need, similar to kinases? And when do you think we can expect to see this happen?
1: Wow, tough questions. Well, I mean, the reason we chose epigenetics to work on is because we think these proteins are going to have broad therapeutic potential. So in other words, they're going to be drug targets, not just in cancer, but in inflammatory diseases, in neuropsychiatric diseases, etc. I also believe that many of these epigenetic proteins are, when we inhibit them, they will potentially have greater efficacy in a larger subset of patients. So that, of course, is a good thing. Now, I suspect what we will do is that in the first instance, of course, as we generate more selective inhibitors, we will initially profile them in various cancers or in conditions where patients can tolerate a narrow therapeutic index. And then I think we will more and more hopefully start taking them into chronic inflammatory diseases and potentially even into some of these sort of neuropsychiatric diseases. Now, in terms of timeframes for some of these novel therapies, I'm confident we'll have sort of more selective, novel epigenetic inhibitors for cancer, let's say, in the next five years. And I'm talking about actually helping patients. Maybe inflammation could be 10 years from now, and maybe neuropsychiatry is going to take a little bit longer. So maybe sort of, you know, 15 years or something like this. But, you know, I think in that sort of time frame, I think some of these non-cancer conditions, I'm not convinced... That will happen in the next five years.
0: Well, it's definitely encouraging to see some progress in the right direction, and it's great that you're accomplishing a lot of this through the SGC. So that's all the questions that I have for you today, and I want to thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with us.
1: Samantha, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And again, this has been a CHI podcast with Dr. Chaz Bountra of the Structural Genomics Consortium and the University of Oxford. You can hear more from Dr. Bountra as well as other leading drug discovery researchers this May 21st through 23rd in Boston, Massachusetts.